Myers, this is week three of our uh, God Divorce series. The gist, if you would, um, is just that we have this tendency, okay, to find ways to create separation between us and God. We always want to put things in boxes. And so what happens with us is, is when we can't put something in a box, when we can't control it, when we can't uh, figure out a way to get what we want from that person or that thing, and we can't figure out a way to give that person thing what they want, we just ditch it, okay? And so the best way for us to manage God is to find ways, you know, to kind of box Him in. And so what we do is we create this weird separation between what is sacred, okay? Sacred is in the places where we expect God to show up, okay? So Sunday is sacred, or church is sacred, or prayer, or fasting is sacred. But then we create these other separations where work is not sacred, um, Sunday might be sacred, but Monday is just Monday. And Sunday is God's day, but Saturday is my day to chill out on the couch. And we just create these ways to just, again, have breathing space from God, right? Because we just kind of need our own space. And so what happens in this, as we all know, is, is with Jesus, it's challenging because he asked for something. He asked for relationship, right? And what's so hard about relationship is that it never stops encroaching on our space, okay? Which are the, uh, the most important relationship you have, right? So if it's a spouse, if it's family, if it's a friend, it is important. It is significant in your life because it takes up more space in your life. There's more things that you share. There's more memories or experiences, more places where you trust this person, again, you are allowing this relationship to take up more space in your life, right? Your coworker is that because the space in their life, the space they have in your life is limited, right? I know this person. I interact with them a certain way because I know them from work. Here's my boss, and here's how I relate to him because I know him from work. Here's my spouse, and I know them at home, and we're friends, and this and this. And it, we just find this way to create all these boundaries because at the end of the day, Boundaries have one purpose, okay, to protect something. And what we are out to protect is who? Me. And so what's so challenging with Jesus is he goes to the very heart of the issue. I don't care about your 10%. I don't care about your prayers or your fasting or your spiritual gifts or all these great things you've done. Because First uh, Corinthians 13 tells us what? That love is what matters and everything else is what? Nothing. I could have all the understanding, I could know all the mysteries, I could move mountains, I could do healings, I could give all my money to the poor, I could do all these things, but guess what it is? It's empty if I don't have love. And love is fundamentally caring for another more than yourself. It's this ability to take down your walls the way that you would protect yourself through boundaries and rules and separation Love forces us to question every one of those. Love continues to pull us and draw us into further vulnerability. Love is dangerous, right? Do you love everyone you ever meet? When you go to, uh, I don't know, Western Sizzling after church, okay? You will not treat your waiter the same way that you treat your spouse. You will not share your past with them or your insecurities or your fears with them the same way you treat your spouse because what could happen? 
One, you'd freak them out, right? I hope you give them a big tip. Two, we can get hurt. Good example. We all went through school, right? What's one thing that, that we learn at a young age in school? Be careful what you say to who. Because if you, if you share the wrong thing to the wrong person, that will spread around that school in no time at all. Right? And you could get hurt. So we instantly begin to create separation. Here's this person who I, who I sit next to in class. Here's this friend of mine. Here's my close friend. Here's my BFF. Come on, wake up. Okay, here's my B. I said BFF. I don't have a BFF. Okay, yes. And what you're doing is, again, you're putting them in boxes. I can trust this person with this much and this person with this much. And we are constantly judging. We are trying to figure out how much of ourselves we can pour into someone else. And, of course, as always, the challenge of Jesus is this. He's not after our 10%. He's not after our prayers. He's not after our giftings or our callings or abilities or how many hours we spend serving the church. None of that matters anything. What matters is what's behind those things. Am I giving my 10% so I can do my part? Am I giving my 10% so I can have my 90? Am I giving my 10% so I can feel good about giving my 10%? Am I praying? Am I serving? Am I... Am I a pastor because I enjoy the things that come with it? Am I serving as a pastor because it makes me feel as if I'm doing something for God? What is behind these things? And everyone, the teachers of the law, the people who found comfort in their religious actions, okay, I feel really good because I don't do these sinful things. I feel great because I do give this much money. I do do these things. Every one of them could not stay in Jesus because he wanted them to move all of that aside and ask the hardest question, why do you do it? And so what happens in this entire thing with Jesus is he continually cuts to the chase and says, where is your heart? And why are you doing these things? It's one of the areas in our lives where this separation happens the most is work, right? Who sees work as spiritual? Now, don't give me your like Sunday morning answer. Okay? If I hadn't said a word about it and you woke up Monday morning, were you thinking to yourself, I get to go worship Jesus today? Jerry, come on. Oh, oh, look at you, Brian. Hey, it's the lighting. I mean, like they're both like this, okay? Sorry. <laughs> Had to mess me up. So he sees it as worship. So one out of all of you guys, right? Jerry, you know what? <laughs> you. She always messes me up too, but that's okay. The point is this. You don't, right? It's, it's, it's different, right? Okay. When we play songs and we feel certain things, and I have that moment where my emotions connect with my mind and I think, oh, I care about God in this moment. And so I respond with my hands or I sing or I clap or something, right? That is worship. But what happens on Monday morning when I have to put my boots on and I have to go to work, that is not. That's separate. So what happens for us is that most of our lives, we are separated from God. Because again, we see certain very small places as sacred. My quiet time is sacred, right? My time uh, 
with the worship music, my time in the morning with my Bible and coffee, that is sacred. But the moment that I have to get around people, and I, and I have to be around people who are you know, cussing, or I have to be sweating, or I have to be on a computer, or I have to be on the phone, that's just life. And so here's life, and then here's this tiny little slice of my life that is actually a place where I meet with God. And so most of us, we lock God into these tiny closets in our life, these small little places. And we get worried and frustrated, and our lives go up and down and up and down because we feel God is so distant from us. He's so far away. And, you know, these things that we talk about on Sunday morning are so challenging. How am I supposed to be all these spiritual things whenever I have to work? Here's the things I have to do. How do you expect me to do all these extra things on top of them? Uh, I had this Bible teacher, and he had this question for us. And he had a pie chart, and he said, okay, so if the Scriptures tell you to love God with everything in you, okay, but they also tell you to love your neighbor, they also tell you to, you know, love your children, your spouse, whatever, how is it possible for us to give God 100% of our love and then also give love in these places? And what happens is if we continue to see them as separate things, it's impossible. But of course, the truth is what? Love for God is love for neighbor, right? What happens is when I choose to, to live my entire life in and through Christ, when every breath, every second of my life I live with God, everything else that I do becomes sacred. When I realize that I don't cease to be a temple of God's Spirit on Sunday night, when I realize that every single place I go, the Creator of the universe is present with me. This is one of the hardest things for us to separate. Now, um, if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and jump into it. Let's go to uh, Genesis 3, verse 16. Now, the context of this, guys, is um, Jesus 1, we see where God, He says something. He says what? He says, it is good. We have to drill this into our minds, okay? Creation, the, the, the original order of things is a good thing, and it's something that's going to be restored. And so what happens is, is that often whenever we misunderstand Genesis, it throws our entire understanding of Scripture off. And so what happens here is we see that there is work in the beginning. In the, the original order of God, but halfway through chapter 1, we see that man is created and man is given a position, a role, a job to do, okay? Now, the word is dominion. It's this idea that, you know, we've been created to rule over the earth. But if you understand the context and the words being used, it's rulership through servantship. It's the idea that, yes, Man was created, if you would, to, to have authority over the earth, but he was created to tend to it. It's like a gardener, right? The way a gardener treats his garden is not the same way that a uh, ruler would treat his subjects, if that makes sense, okay? Like, there is a relationship, a, a, a care, a gentleness to it. It's work. It is, you do have the power to take your, you know, your plants and stomp them to the ground, but someone who wants to be there, someone who, who cares about the garden, won't treat it that way. 
He has control and authority over it, but he tends to it gently because he wants to see the fruit that comes from it. There's relationship there. And so what happens with, with Adam is he's told that, yes, you are given dominion over the earth, but understand that your sustenance, what you eat, what you live off of, will also come from the earth. Okay? And so he's given this relationship to tend for the earth, and of course it in some odd way tends for him. And we aren't going to open that up too much today. That's all another thing. But we see that what, what happens for man is simple. Um, we see that um, in the beginning, I'll just say it from the notes, in the beginning, work was good and it was sacred. Meaning, in work, we expected to meet God there. We came, work came out of identity and relationship because God met our needs. Let me explain this. So, the way that God created things, He created them in such a way that yes, we had a job to do, yes, we had work to do, but our work came as a result of, of who we were in God. He makes us, he, he makes us in His image to where just because of how He's made us, we carry authority and power. And so He makes us in a certain way and He says, you are in my image. And because you are in my image, you are over. You will have authority and your job will come from your identity. Because you are like me, you will do things like what I do. And so our work came out of our identity. And it was always tied to relationship. Because we knew that the earth, if you would, that, that Adam and Eve would always have what they needed because God would supply it. So work didn't come from this place of I have to work so I can eat. It came from a place of I, I work because of who I've been made to be. And I work not to have because I will receive separate from what I do. Does that make sense to you at all? Okay, <laughs> one person. Awesome, okay. <laughs> what they are eating is not coming from the work of their hands, okay? Uh, creation has already been created. You know, the life cycle, if you would, is already rolling and moving, okay? This planet is covered with food, right? Before Adam ever touched it. And at this point, there's only two humans on it anyway. He's not going, oh no, if I don't tend to the tree, we're not going to eat tomorrow, right? Okay, I'll just hope that we make it clear later. <laughs> Here we go. All right, so understand that everything came out of identity. Everything came out of the relationship with God. Now, witness um, here what changes. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be, will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, that, that's a very loaded statement. I'd love to unpack that on a different Sunday. We would have quite the fun if I unpacked that today. But if you notice, the first thing that's happening here is after, of course, uh, sin. Uh, he's talking to me. He's, he just asked them, what have you done? And so the consequences of their choices, he's now explaining it to them. And so if you notice, the fruitfulness of, of Eve will now be tied to pain and labor. To what? Work. Right? You guys. To Adam, he said this. Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil. What's that? Toil. Work. 
okay? You will eat food from it all the days of your life. Now, he was told before that that he was going to eat from the trees, right? He was already told that, that his food, his, 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 his needs would be met from this creation. But what's changed? It's now based on his what? Work. As he works, he will be able to have something from it. Whereas before, he got to receive from it just because of who he was and his relationship with God. And so if you notice, the fruitfulness of Eve is now tied to what? She can only bear fruit, children, through toil, work, labor. It's, yeah, we'll just leave that right there, right? Adam will only be able to have fruit from what? Labor, toil, work, pain. What is happening here? We are seeing a, a breakdown in the way that God created things to be. See, fruitfulness, children were supposed to come out of the relationship of Adam and Eve. Out of their intimacy, out of their trust, out of their bond, out of their relationship would come fruitfulness. Out of Adam's relationship with God, because working for him came out of relationship to God. It wasn't about what he needed, it was about who he was and who God was. And so his fruitfulness would come out of relationship with God, and their fruitfulness would come out of relationship with each other. And now what's happened? Both of these relationships have been broken. And now both children and food, if you would, are now tied to pain, to, to loss, to, to hardship, to trouble, to you know, sweat, yelling, curse words, all the good things that come with that, right? Wake up. We're talking child labor here. Someone posted on my Facebook about it. it. Should be like National Mom Who Had Baby Day, right? Was that what it was? Birth birthing day. It should be birthday for me. It should be birthing day for her. Come on, that's terrible. As if I want that to be on my Facebook on my birthday, right? Okay, you get it. Okay. It's the idea that this is not right. Something is off. This is not the way that God created it to be. So what happens here is we saw that everything as far as work used to come out of identity. I do this because this is who I am. And so this is what I will do because of who I am. And now things have shifted. In a broken world, in this broken world, work is necessary and it's also ordinary. Work defines our identity and it strains relationships. Because work now meets our needs. Okay. What we did used to come out of who we were. Now, what we do defines who we are. Do you hear me on that? Most people, if I were to talk to you at Starbucks or whatever, okay, and if I asked you who you are, most people even start by saying this. So what do you do, Devin? Right? One of the first questions that someone didn't know you, that's one of the first things I ask. Because in this world, you are defined by what you do and what you produce. What he's really asking you is not what do you do. What he's really asking you is what do you get out of it? Meaning, oh, I, you know, I'm a janitor. And the judgment, the assessment of me would instantly be made. Or even better, I'm out of work. I am currently self-employed. And what would you think of me? Be honest. 
When someone says, well, I'm between jobs, I'm, I'm you know, currently self-employed. What do you really think? Loser. Because this world is based off of what we can produce, what we can prove. What we, what our energy, what our choices, what our giftings, what our abilities, what this can produce defines who I am. And of course, if you don't understand this, what's the next story that follows this? Cain and Abel, right? And it comes down to this this hardship between they are defined by what they bring. I went and worked with my hands, and I have this from the ground. I went and worked with a different tool, and again, I don't want to explain all this, and he brought me. We are now in this broken world defined by what we can produce, but in the order of God, we are defined not by what we do or what we can produce. We are defined first by who we are, by who we are, and what we produce is not about us. What the earth produced was not about what Adam would do to the earth. It wasn't about his hours he would spend, you know, out there farming. It was what was produced came out of the goodness and the identity of who God was. It wasn't ever about who Adam was. Are you with me yet? Okay, you will spend your entire life from this moment on, likely, most of you, trying to define who you are by what you produce. What you're missing is that who you are is completely separated from what you produce. And truly, you will never reach your potential until you get to a place where what is produced through you comes out of your relationship with God. If you're taking notes, write that down. You are not walking maturity until what you're producing comes out of your relationship with God. If what you produce in your life comes out of your effort and your work and your choices and your abilities, good for you. But that's not coming from your walk with God. You are toiling, you are laboring, and you are doing something that has value. But you are not doing something that that comes out of who you are, your true identity in Jesus. Are you awake yet? So what happens here is that while work used to be worship, it was always meant to be a holy, sacred place. You know, the idea wasn't that Adam would be out there walking the earth and, you know, working on his own. Everything that we know about the work of Adam before that, he did with God. He named the animals with God. He wasn't alone. He's working, he's doing effort, he's creating fruit, but he's doing it in partnership with the Creator. And so what happens here is when we created separation between what is, is sacred and what's not, work becomes this other kind of sacred. Meaning, in this world, especially uh, here in America, work is sacred, but sacred in a very different kind of way. Here's what I mean. Work has taken a form of sacredness. We concede to a broken world by idolizing work and money. We set work above all the other sacred spaces in our life time and relationships. For example, when you really work, what suffers? Your body, your emotions, right? What about your family? Some of the most successful people I know have very sick families. Why? Because their work takes precedence. The sacredness, the, the importance, if you would, of work trumps relationships. The amount of time and energy and resources I pour into work, somehow work gets a pass 
in the society. For example, if I were to tell you that Joe Bob, that, that he loves his family and he loves God and he works his butt off. He works 72 hours a week or more. And, you know, he's this awesome guy because he takes care of his family. We would all applaud him. If I told you, if I told you that Joe Bob sits on the, on the couch watching TV all week long, what would you say? <laughs> yeah. Now, his, his time is not being invested in family. It's not being invested, if you would, with, with the Lord. It's, but in this culture, we see work as something different because what we do is we all affirm and acknowledge a reality of something powerful, meaning we all acknowledge that this world runs on what? Money. Because if Joe Bob stops working, what's going to happen? His family's going to suffer. So we instantly say, well, what's real, what, what's actually real in this world is money. Because if Joe Bob stops working, if, if he just sits on his butt and prays for 72 hours a week, what's going to happen? Sure, you can believe a miracle is going to happen, but what's, you know, what's actually going to happen? Come on, be brave. Yeah. Lose the lights first, and then the hot water ride, and then, you know, his house. Hey, he can be super spiritual, but Joe Bob better work. Because if there's one thing that's real in this world, it's money. What you don't understand is what's hidden inside of that is this little lie that's sneaking in there. What we are really affirming without even knowing it is that this is more real than this. What we're really saying is that the way that this world works is more real than the kingdom of God. What we are saying is that money is, is more real. The odds are is money's going to take care of my needs more times out of ten than God will take care of my needs. What we are doing is we are saying, you know what? I understand that in some way I believe both of these things are real. But what I really believe is that this God will always show up. Once in a year, I might have a moment where I feel like this God's real. But every week, I know that this God's real. If I put my 72 hours in with this God, He's going to have a paycheck for me. If I put my 72 hours in with this God, what's He going to do for me? We are, we are building altars at the foot of false gods. What we are saying is the most real thing in my world is this. And so I will spend most of my existence on this earth serving this thing. And this thing is money. And of course, we all know what's actually behind this thing. Money itself is not evil. But we know that the, the one who actually runs this world truly is. The prince of the era, as we call him in the Scriptures. He's the one who's, if you would orchestrating this broken system. Because the truth is this. This is reality. This world is broken. And in this world, you must work and toil. You must go through all of these things in order for you to get what you need. But then we have this terrible challenge from Jesus where we're challenged to live as if something else is more real than that thing. We're challenged to live as if the what? The kingdom of God is what? Here. Because the word of Jesus was always the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. And the entire point of that is saying, if you believe the kingdom of heaven is at, is at hand, you will act like it. If you believe the kingdom of, 
of God is actually out there, and that at some day when this world you know, gets burned up, then the kingdom shows up, then you will live the rest of your life in this world thinking that that one has nothing to do with it. So once a week we'll show up and we'll talk about it, we'll sing about it, we'll say some prayers about it, and then we'll go back to the real world. As a pastor, that's one phrase I, I love and hate. Well, if you had a real job. <laughs> if only you lived in the real world, Evan. Because see, whenever I go to work, I can't pray there. You know, what comes from that is we find this way to create the separation. And so what happens is we actually begin to view what we are doing as secular, as ordinary, as not spiritual. And so what happens is this. Most of us truly have a heart for God. We love God. We want to do more for Him. We would rather spend you know, more time with Him or more time with our families or more time, you know, blah, blah, blah. We would love that, Devin. But I do have to work. Well, the issue is not the working. The issue is how we see our work. What happens here is that we see missionaries or some pastors. I wouldn't say all pastors, right? Some pastors, we see evangelism. We see these things as the truly sacred spiritual jobs. A pastor gets to go do spiritual work all day, and I have to go do ordinary work. See, I'm just doing what I do to pay the bills. He's doing what he does for God. And what you don't realize is that you are separating yourself from God in the, the largest part of your life. You spend more time working than you do almost anything else besides sleeping. And so most of your life is spent separated from God. Not because God is not there. Because you have been tricked or taught into believing that what you do is not spiritual. It's not what you're doing that, that makes it spiritual or not. It's how you do it. What you have to understand is that sacredness, what makes something sacred or holy or, or spiritual, is not the items themselves. It's what we bring to the items. When we baptize people back there, you know, it's called a sacrament. It's a sacred thing or place where God meets us. But I'll tell you what, it's just bath water. It's just bath water. Sometimes it's too hot, sometimes it's too cold. It's just bath water. What makes that water sacred, a place where we meet with God, is what they and I bring to it. When they come to it expecting to meet God in the water, that ordinary water becomes sacred ground. This is some cheap bread and old grape juice. It is as ordinary as it comes. If you treat it as that, it will stay that. If you treat it as a place where you come expecting to be with God, it's transformed. And it becomes a sacred, special, separated 
place where you meet and commune with God. In your marriage, your kitchen table can just be kitchen table. Dinner can just be dinner and, you know, bath time is just bath time with the kids. But when you intend to be fully present with them in those spaces, they become sacred places where you connect with your family, with your spouse, your kids, where you make memories, where you, 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 you share things, where you, you, you put your walls down, you're vulnerable, you build relationship, you receive from them and you pour into them. It's what you bring to the space that makes it sacred. Your work, it doesn't matter what you do right now, your work probably is ordinary, but it's not because of what you're doing, it's because of how you're doing it and what you're bringing to it. Pastoral work these days is one of the most ungodly things in the world. It's ego-driven, and it's competitive. It's secularized. It's terrible. I don't want to be a pastor six days out of the week because there's so many things that we have to compete with to actually make what we do sacred. To actually do this with God is such a challenge because it's so easy for us to do it without Him. You and I both have the same challenge, that everyone wants to measure us by what we can create from our hands. But the challenge for us is, is, to, is to do what we do from relationship, trusting God to produce the fruit. Not letting our need to identify ourselves, not letting our need to prove ourselves change the way that we work. It's so easy for us to be so afraid of if I bring this, if I'm only making this much money, if I only work this many hours, if, I only, you know, if I'm only this successful, if I've been doing this job for this long and, and you know, if, if I haven't you know, climbed the ladder, okay? then I'm afraid that people are going to see me this way. And so I am tempted to work with my hands to show people who I am. But the way things are supposed to be is that everything that we work with, the place that we apply our energy and our heart and our hands and our minds, we do it with the Lord out of relationship with Him. So we are not pushed or driven or afraid or fearful or ego-driven we are doing things with Him, and it comes out of our relationship. And so everything that's produced from our work, we give the credit all the way back to Him. It's not this like hollow thing either where I just say it. You know, I go work real hard, and then I go, oh yeah, it was all Jesus. But in my heart, I know, man, I work my butt off. You know, um, in the Old Testament, Joseph... Um, and Daniel are huge examples of this. They were both put in situations where they couldn't work their way to the top. But they both were put in situations where they had to lean on their relationship with God. And what happened was, when they were so committed to walk in full obedience in relationship with God, that He began to elevate them. They found themselves in places with influence, with titles, you know, with resources, in places that they wouldn't ever be able to put themselves with their own hands. But the reason God put them there was because God was the one elevating them, because He knew 
that because of their focus on relationship, that he would be the one getting all the glory out of it in the end. Most of us, what we do is ordinary. And it's completely because of the choices that we're making. Let's go to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. We're going to use the Message Bible. Um, as I say sometimes, you know, it's not a uh, literal translation. The point of the Message Bible is, is, is you know, to help you get it to where it actually makes sense to us. It, it's so hard sometimes to kind of translate these things to where the context and language, you know, to where it actually makes sense to us. And so the Message Bible really gets this passage right. I just love it. Here we go, if you guys are ready. But you are the ones chosen by God. Chosen for the high calling of priestly work. Chosen to be a holy people. God's instruments to do His work and speak out for Him. To tell others of the night and day difference He made for you. From nothing to something. From rejected to accepted. Friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. Um. The NIV version calls us, you know, it says, uh, don't you know that you guys are a chosen people, a holy priesthood? You know, it's, it's this idea that don't you know that nothing that you do from this moment forward is ordinary? Um, to the Jews, you know, to be a priest meant that your entire life was separated from the people. Your entire life was done away from the ordinary, away from the sinful even, if you would. And so their entire lives... Everything they did, from their work to the way they dressed, the food they ate, everything was about it becoming sacred, being holy. It's all about their relation to God. And what's so funky about this verse is it nails us on it. It says, don't you know that nothing you do is ordinary anymore? Everything you do is as a priest. Whatever you put your mind to, your heart to, your hands to, is to be done spiritually. Is to be done sacredly in connection with God, with your mind on God, with your heart engaged with God, with your hands working for Him. Everything you do. And what I love about this, this passage, he says, don't you know that this is who you are, and now your job is to be that, to be a priest, okay? To be chosen, to be set apart. To be that, where? In the world. We can't all be pastors. Lord, help us all. Someone actually has to be out in the world. Someone has to be at the job. Someone has to be, you know, plumbing toilets and mowing lawns and having to, you know, whatever it is, a lawyer or, you know, teacher, whatever. The whole point is that you are to be bringing the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in every place. I don't mean that in a trite, silly way. What I mean is that everything that you do is to be different from the people around you. Not in a holiness way. Please shake that idea off. It's not saying that you walk in and, you know, when, when everyone's cussing, you just pull out your Bible. 
I'm reading the Word of God today. What are you doing, heathen? The entire point is that light had... How do you say this? Light stands out from darkness because of what it is. Okay? It can't help it. It, it, it takes effort to hide light. Meaning, it, it, it's not this effort, it's not this strategy or this way. It just is what it is. And so when you have a light, it stands out from darkness because by nature, it stands out from everything else. The entire point is that when you walk into your job, into your marriage, into your home, when you go to the restaurant and you walk into it in relationship with God, with your mind on, saying, I am a priest, I am whatever, I'm a follower of Jesus, I am locked in on this. It's not saying that you walk in, you prophesy to everyone, or you pray for everyone, it just means that you stand out just because of who you are. But that's only when our work, when our actions come out of, of who we are. When it comes out of our identity in Christ, then that's how we act. Here's an example for you, and then we'll close up. It's hard for me to shake off the pastor hat sometimes. I hate the feeling that I get when I walk into a room and I know that certain people know I'm a pastor because I feel the pressure to act like a pastor. Okay? <laughs> Those of you who know me know that my nature is to not act very pastoral. Yes, I care about people. Yes, I love people. But I'm not going to walk in and be like, Hi, hey, sir, how was your day? Jesus loves you. Gag me. I'm, I mean, seriously, you know? I mean, I, but I feel the pressure, right? Hey, I'm this. And you see that on all of us. We, we, we walk into a room and we instantly feel that pressure to meet expectations. Hey, I'm this, I'm that, here's, my t- here's who I'm supposed to be. And what happens is when our minds are engaged in a certain identity, this is who I am, it affects our emotions, it affects our actions. If you would, our work comes out of that identity. When I walk into work and I say, this is who I am, everything, I treat everyone a certain way based on that. When I walk into a room and I say, man, I am whoever I am, right? But by the grace of God. I, I walk in a room rooted in my relationship with God, which means, yes, I'm confident in Jesus in me. Yes, I, you know, I believe God can move and speak through me. But I'm also humble because, you know, I know that in Christ, thank the Lord He loves me because I am a mess. And so I walk in with my walls down. I walk in with my eyes on. And I walk in with my heart ready to engage someone. And that is what it means to be light. And... and Whatever comes from that is awesome. If it leads to the Scriptures, if it leads to, to prayer or to a healing or to a, you know, whatever, great. But it starts with being rooted in Jesus. And when you are rooted in Jesus, you're walking in a place where you love the Lord with all your heart and you do what? You love your neighbor. To be rooted in identity in Jesus means you're walking around saying, I am willing and ready to love people, to invest myself in people, to be, you know, vulnerable with people. That is what it means to be rooted in Christ. To walk around willing and ready to get hurt, to be misunderstood. But the point is, is that in some way, shape, or form, they would notice that you're different. And in some way, shape, or form, that they would see the light of Jesus in you. Would you guys stand with me?